Hi, listeners. Welcome to the She Speaks Life podcast, a weekly encouragement where we share our God stories. I'm your host, Jamie Elizabeth, and I am so glad you are spending time with us today to listen. Hi, friend. Welcome back to She Speaks Life. Today, I have with me author Lisa Apollo of Life Can Be Good Again putting your world back together after it falls apart. She's going to share with us about the sudden tragic loss of her husband and give us encouragement on what do we do when grief enters our world and how do we get through any loss that appends life. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I I can't imagine walking through this uh, tragedy here and what you experienced. And I am so grateful, though, that you are using your story to serve others and helping them uh, anchor their faith and cope with a new reality. And I know that takes obedience and that takes courage on your part. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being on here to encourage those that have walked through a similar experience or lost a job or a home that you have some hope to give us on how do we get through that and get to the other side. So Thank you. And uh, I would just love it if you could just take us back to when you first met your husband. And I know we all have these preconceived ideas of what marriage would look like. And just give us a little backstory on your relationship with him. Sure. So I met Dan in seventh grade. We were I know we, he was just another boy in youth group at that point, right? But yeah. as we got into uh, high school, we became really good friends. We were part of a group of really good guy-girl friends, and then we started dating. So he was actually my first date. He was my only date. It was right before my 16th birthday. And, you know, we just, he was, we had been such good friends that I knew that we would work as a couple. And so we we went to college together because I figured that this was, you know, I didn't want like going away to college kind of to mess up our relationship. So we went to college together. We ended up getting married in college. And, you know, life kind of just sailed on. We kept taking the things off that we were in our plans. We had children. He wanted two. I wanted three. We went ended up with seven children. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> kind of by, you know, God vetoed <laughs> yeah. both of us. But, uh, and life was not perfect by any stretch. Mm -hmm. We had financial pressures and challenges that we had to get through that were very difficult, some of them. We had uh, parenting struggles. We had marriage issues. So these were all things that we had to walk through. But, you know, by... By the summer of, you know, it was 10 years ago, by that summer, actually Father's Day weekend, I, if you had asked me, I would have said, this is the life I want. Like if I could carve out the life I want or plan it, this is all I've wanted is to be a mom, to be in a, in a solid marriage. We were at a place where Dan was, loved his work. The kids were at a good place. So we were on very ordinary Friday morning, what I thought was ordinary. We were, it was still dark out actually. And I woke up to Dan's funny breathing and 
I wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I just kind of reached my hand out and said, it's okay, hon. It's just a nightmare. I just thought he would turn over and we would wake up to his alarm a few hours later. And when he didn't wake up, I kind of woke up when he didn't turn over, I kind of woke up more and flipped on the overhead light. And I could see immediately that something was very wrong, that he was non-responsive. And so, you know, I called 911. She began walking me through CPR. And as I was doing CPR, I just thought it was kind of two things. Like one, I was in the moment doing the counting, you know, trying to be very present and do as well as I could. But I was also thinking like, I am not giving CPR to the man I just kissed goodnight a few hours ago. Like this is, I am not giving CPR to the rock of our family. And um, within, before we got through two rounds of CPR, the paramedics were there and took over, shushed me out of the room. And I thought, okay, he is in good hands and he's going to be really mad when he wakes up and realizes he can't go to work today. And yet at the same time, I was very hopeful because this had come from nowhere. There were no signs, no symptoms, no anything. And yet I could also see that this was very dire. And I just was kind of outside the room praying audibly, you know, for the God to have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. And so they took him by stretcher to the um, hospital and I followed. It was only a few minutes after I arrived when an ER doctor said that they had worked on him for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. So like in one night's sleep, life just collapsed. The life that I had loved the person who was such a central part of that for all of us, not just for me, but for my children, it just was shattered and it would never be again. Mm. Oh my goodness. I just can't imagine. Can't imagine. Did they find out what he had or what happened? Yes. So my hospital didn't even give me a choice, just said that they would do an autopsy, which was fine because we really wanted to, I wanted to know. Mm-hmm. And there was an underlying condition that had we known, a heart condition that had we known was probably treatable. So it wasn't like your typical artery blocking. He didn't even have any of that. But it was something that had we known, it's treatable. Everything from medication over the, you know, a prescription medication to maybe a pacemaker, Um, But we didn't know. And so I just had to wrestle through that and say, God could have given us warning. God could have caused him to have some pain. But I had been with him actually the the four days before he and I had gotten away. He had a business trip down in the Keys. So I'm in Florida and he wanted me to go. And I never went away with him because seven kids and, you know, it was just too hard to find somebody to come be me in the house. But I did. I just got away with him for those four days. It was such a gift because not only did we have that time together, which now I look back on so is such a treasure, but I was with him. I could see that nothing, there was nothing that I could have seen that would have been a warning. And that really let me off the hook because so many times in these kind of losses, there's such a regret and guilt. Like I should have known, I should have seen, I should have done something. I could have, and I did go through that. But I had to very quickly just leave that in the hands of the Lord. Yeah, and not receive that lie from the enemy. Oh, wow. Yeah, what a a beautiful time you had before the passing. Uh, I know Florida Keys is a special place in our heart. We go there almost every summer to vacation. So um, I know that place very well. And gosh, I, I can't imagine. And I know your book is 
called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It Falls Apart. I mean, how can you do that? Share with us, like, what do you mean by that? Take us through the process to get to that point where you can say life can be good again. Well, I can tell you that I wasn't saying life can be good again. That was not my mantra in those first months or even the first year was, yeah, I think we go into survival mode. And I was so naive about grief. I had never gone through anything like this. I had, I had gone through some miscarriages, but they were nothing really for me. They were, um, I had grieved those, but this just shattered so much. I remember saying to myself, I will never smile again. Like I might make it through this, but I don't know if I'll ever feel joy again. Will I ever feel that warm, bubbly, organic happiness just coming up? And at the same time, I worried that I would never feel that. I fought for it because I did not want to just survive. I wanted to feel that again. I wanted to smile again. I wanted to feel that, that joy of life again. But it's a hard place. And if anybody's walking through that, if you have been through a miscarriage or child loss or uh, you know, there's a lot of ways we can go through shattering loss. It could be a spouse that walks out that says, I never loved you. Or even a dear friend of mine who had, she and her husband had put their heart and soul and sweat equity and years into building this business and something happened and it was gone. And it just changed so much of their life. Yeah. Not just financially, but just had so many ripple effects. So when we go through something like that, you know, I think it's very important to focus on being honest in our emotions and not feel like we have to show up a certain way or slap a platitude on it or fake mm-hmm. that we're fine. The Bible gives us permission to do what we call lament. And I came to see that that my emotions, hard as they were, were not just safe with God, but they were safe best with God. And every morning I would just kind of get away. I'd get in my minivan. I'd get the kids started for the day, and then I would just either cry out audibly or journal or pray through my fears and my needs, my overwhelm, and then I would just kind of lay that at the feet of the Lord, pick up the Word, and just be reminded of who He is and how He cares for us. Mm, So good. I just recently went through a Bible study on Lamentations, and Wow, it was at a perfect time. I was going through some uh, grieving myself, and it just really uh, made it be okay to just lay it all out to the Lord and have that hope uh, that He delivers. And, you know, obviously, having seven kids, it's not just you that's losing your husband, it, your kids are losing their father as well. How were you able to uh, be there for your kids, all seven of them? They were, at the time, they were four, six, 12, 14, 16, 17, 19. So I had them all the ages. And, you know, like I said, I, I was... I was so naive, but I think one of the things that really, a couple things really served us. One is we were just authentic with it. I did not feel like I had to be some kind of super mom at that moment or have all the answers. They did have a lot of questions and they had some hard questions. And some of them I knew the answers to. Some of them we got the word or got books and explored it together. And some of them I didn't know the answers to. 
you know, and things like, will you die early? You know, my little one wanted to know that. Well, I couldn't say, no, that'll never happen. Much as I would love to promise that, I can't promise that. But I could direct her to the truth that God knows our days and that God will always be there and will always provide for her and that I have put into place things for them if you know something were ever to happen for me. So I think, you know, I became really a student of my children and a student of grief all over again. I saw that that they all that we all grieve differently. And we know that as adults, but children grieve differently than adults. Toddlers grieve differently than teens and tweens. Girls generally grieve differently than boys. And so um, it would look different for them. The second thing that really helped us was very early on, I think it was the first time we sat down to do like a Bible time together after Dan's memorial service and everybody had gone home and you know, our house had quieted. We were all sitting around on couches and chairs. And I said, we're going to have to have a lot of grace with each other. We're going to need a lot of grace. And that kind of became the umbrella. It's not that I spoke that every day to them, but I internalized it. And I knew as a mom, I would need a lot of grace as I was learning to single parent and that they would need grace with each other and with me. I learned that, um, that the young ones are very concrete in their grief. If anybody's walking children through, you know that kids just are very honest. They will blurt out. So my four-year-old every day for every year, she'd be like, "I'm." she'd just cry in her car seat. I miss daddy. I miss daddy. And we would have that same conversation for over a year. And I would just coach myself like, Lisa, do not get frustrated. You, she's trying to learn the permanency of death. Um, for my tween and teen boys, they wanted life to feel normal. They wanted, they didn't want to be singled out as that kid whose dad, whatever. So when they were at church, when they were on the sports field, when they were friends, they needed that attention and they needed somebody to speak into them, but they didn't want to be labeled as that kid. So it was very important for me to make our home a safe place for conversation. And to keep that conversation yeah. going. And just by bringing up things like your dad would have loved this or he would have been so proud of you or telling stories, just continuing to open that conversation so they could join it. And then I think my 17-year-old daughter and my 19-year-old son probably grieved most like I was as an adult. You know, as adults, we carry our grief. We don't go in and out. For kids, it's too much. So you'll see them kind of like playing with their friends like everything's normal and then having this quiet time where they're just... The tears are coming and the conversation is open. Yeah. I had a best friend when I was a little girl. And so most of our my young childhood years, we did everything together. And her mom passed away. So I experienced her as, you know, seven, eight years old playing with me and then all of a sudden having these outbursts of just anger and, you know, scary almost. I would, you know, be like, well, I think I'm going to go home because I didn't understand, right? Sure. And so um, I know what you mean that go- it goes in and out and little did I know back then that that's what she was experiencing was the grief. So I'm glad you just brought that up because now I'm realizing that that's what was happening to my my friend. So Yeah. And I think as teachers, coaches, yeah. Sunday school leaders, youth leaders, 
we need to be grief aware. We need to know that even if they're not speaking about it, they they are thinking. We know statistics tell us that kids and teens constantly have this at the top of their thoughts, that loss. And so it's okay to say the name, to say, I'm praying for you, to say, how can I pray for you today? Or man, I loved your mom. She was, let me tell you my favorite story. You know, things like that are just gold. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it up, not shoving it under the rug or trying to pretend. Yeah. So good. You had mentioned some idols during our suffering. How can we begin that healing and anger and bitterness that we may experience? And I'm interested to hear what you mean by idols while you're suffering. I think for me and for many, what suffering does is it reveals some of the idols that we've had that we maybe didn't even know were there. So mm-hmm. for me, it one of them was the idol of control. You know, yeah. when things fall apart, we realize we are actually not in control. And why did we ever think we were? As much as we'd love to control our circumstances, that we can't control everything. We can't control every outcome. Mm-hmm. And so that idol of control was revealed. And then another one for me that was revealed is the idol of self-sufficiency. I am really good about uh, bringing you the dinner if you are suffering, but I'm not as good opening myself up and being vulnerable for others to um, lean in and help us when when we're going through suffering. So both of those, and there were more idols, but those were two that were really revealed that, you know, when life fell apart for us, I would found myself for the first time in a place of utter dependency on God. We were a single income family. That income was now gone. So our finances were just, I was completely dependent on God, even though there were some, you know, there was a safety net, but still long-term, I didn't know how that would pan out for a family of, of eight at this point. I was, was dependent on God to help me parent, you know, all these decisions that I had been able to go to somebody and think through and rely on somebody or like clock out. I am weary. Can you take over? You know, I'm done being the bad cop. Can you come in? (laughs) You know, I was now carrying that. And so relying on God for that wisdom and that guidance, I was dependent on God to help us just to heal us, to heal our broken hearts. I could not fix my kids' pain. And as a mom, that is just, that's almost as hard as carrying your own pain, knowing that your children are going through something that is heart-wrenching and that you can't fix it. So when life imploded, it was the first time really that I had found myself in a position of utter dependency on God. And all the other times it had been relegated, even though I'd been through hard places, it had been like part of my life, like maybe my finances or a health issue or a kid's issue. But this was like all of life. We were a single income family. I was now parenting alone. My children, you know, just in every area, just all my decision-making, I was so dependent on God. And that, as uncomfortable as that place is, it's really the place that we were created to be. God created us to be fully and 100% dependent on Him. And while I think as Christians, most of us want to be in that place where we are 100% trusting God, We don't so much want the circumstances that are going to cause us to get there. But in that place, I realized I can learn from God and see Him in ways I never would otherwise. You said 
in your book, how we can hang on to hope. And can you just kind of take us through like, how does God reshape our broken heart when it's been shattered like it was for you in a million pieces? Like, how do you pick up and get that hope again? When life implodes in any number of ways that it can, it's easy to think that we are a victim of all of that circumstance. And to a larger sense, we just talked about we are not in control and we do realize that. And yet in that place, there are steps that we can take. There are our response is within our control. And I can tell you, like, I didn't so much do this because I was so put together and so intentional. I was just desperate to survive, for God to pour hope into me and to and to feel good again. And it took a long, long time. But a couple things really helped me. And the first is that um, every day I would kind of get my kids started. And then I would get away by myself in my minivan. Some people have a prayer closet. I have a minivan. And (laughs) because it's the only place where it was quiet, nobody could come in. Nobody, you know. And I would. Yeah, I would just cry out to the Lord. I would journal it out. I would pray. And I would. just give God all of my hard emotion and my hard questions. And then I would pick up the word. So I was reading through the Bible for the year. And I actually hadn't started that in January. I didn't start. Dan was actually reading through the Bible for a year. And I picked up his journal and his uh, his schedule and just picked it up in June. And so whatever was you know scheduled to be read that day, it might be Leviticus, it might be Psalms. No matter where I was, God would meet me on the pages of scripture and he would give me enough hope by reminding me of who he is, his character, or his promises. He would give me enough hope to go back into the house and be able to parent that day and do the tasks of that day. And it wasn't enough for the whole week. I had to go back in the next day and do the same thing. I, kept, I started to call it the great exchange because I would give God my mm-hmm. despair and my sadness, my loneliness, my fear, my frustration, you know, our anger. And then I would pick up his his hope, his promises, his goodness, and just be reminded that he was walking me through. That was a huge, huge game changer for me. Um, And the other thing was that I started doing, again, not because I had some, I was some altruistic person who just knew to do this. I was just desperate. I thought if you had asked me, I would have said, yeah, God is good, but I didn't see God's goodness for me in that. And I needed to see it in a life that felt so bad. I needed to see God's goodness. And months into my grief journey, I just started to write like every day I'd open my journal and write number one through seven and write seven things. I would pause and look back over the day before and see where God's hand had been. It might be little things like, you know, the robin's red breast coming and flittering all over the yard or the rain on the roof last night or that Mm -hmm. walk I got to take or that fun time we had with the kids or the way you provided through this or coffee with a friend. It could have been any number of things. But as I did that, I, as we thank God and uh, focus on cultivating goodness and thankfulness, gratitude in our life, God opens our eyes to more 
that he is doing. And so it's kind of this rhythm where we thank God for all the goodness he's doing, and he opens our eyes even more to the goodness he's doing. And then it helped me connect the dots, you know, things I was praying for and how he was answering. So, so many ways, those two practices really helped me see that God had not dropped us, that God had not forgotten about us, that though this is not what I expected or wanted, and I would give it back in a minute, that God's goodness was for us and that he was actively working in our lives. Yeah. Wow. That is beautiful. And I love how you called it the great exchange. And it really is his living word that brings us that peace that surpasses all understanding and the strength we need and going to it daily. And I love how you just explained all of that, that that's what gives us our hope and makes us go back again to the Lord. He's our refuge every single day. You went back into that quiet time to grab on to everything he has to offer. And wow. That is so inspiring uh, to many of us listening. And you had said in your book uh, that when we suffer a loss, God is not writing a plan B for us. Instead, he is leading us toward chapter two. Uh, Can you explain some of these ideas? I think that's a great quote. Yes, this was so pivotal for me, and it did not come early in my grief. It came somewhere in year two, and I'd have to go back to my journals to find out when I realized this, but it was such a shift for me because one day I was in my minivan again, and I was just, either I thought it or I was journaling out like, this is not the life I ordered, and this is not what I want. And as I, you know, that thought bubbled to the top of my thoughts, this followed, and that is that God has allowed it. And as such, it is not plan B, that God, while I didn't expect it, and while I didn't see it coming, that God did. And he doesn't give us the leftovers of a life. It's not like he turned his head or dropped something for a minute, and now we're consigned to living out second best. Because God would never, he could never give his children second best. And because God had allowed it, by definition, it has as much abundance and good and joy here as there were in all the days before. And you know, that was so eye-opening to me. And it's not like I immediately was like, oh, okay, I feel better. But what it did do was it gave me, like it realigned my heart to the truth And it helped me lean into that until my heart and my emotions caught up that one day I would see that abundance and one day I would see all that joy and one day I would see all that goodness again. I had seen pockets of it. I had seen that sprinkled throughout, but that I would get to a place where I could say, life is good again and you have brought me through like the worst and the hardest that I never wanted. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so good. So where are you guys at now? Like, how is life now? You go yeah, in and a, out? Yeah. That's a great question. I love that. We are 10 years into this, which if anybody has walked through any kind of life implosion, you know time warps. And we kind of always, it always becomes a fulcrum in our life, like life before that date and life after that date. Right. You know, I was so fearful. I feared for my kids 
I feared that they would act out in their grief. I feared getting them grown. You know, I thought getting these teen boys, especially grown and launched without their six foot three dad, how in the world am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had to take that, I had to really figure out how to deal with that fear. But to be 10 years in and to see my kids flourishing, it is just such gift. Yeah. Because these were the days that I just, you know, I hoped God would bring and I had faith that God would bring. But man, there is a big gap when you're standing in the shards of brokenness yeah. and you cannot yet see that. Mm-hmm. And um, just that trust, just that walking day in, day out trust. And listen, I did not parent perfectly through this. I made a lot of mistakes as I parented through this. Um But to see that God's mercy has kept us, that he provided for us, that he gave me wisdom, that he provided people who would speak into my children for years, show up at their games when they played, show up on their senior nights. Um, God just has brought us through. And I would just tell anyone who's in that place, who's not in that place yet, who's still standing in the shards of loss, to... um, just do the hard work of grief. Your hard work, you know, I love Psalm 26 and it makes me cry, but I prayed that so often in hope. And it says, those who sow in tears will reap with sheaves of joy. Those who go out, I don't know if I'm going to remember it correctly. Those who go out weeping will come back carrying sheaves of joy. Mm -hmm. And I just prayed that because I was sowing in tears and I was Ah, sewing with with just deep weeping. And to be here now, not that life is perfect, life will never be perfect, right? There will always, I we are waiting right now on a pathology report for one of my children. But God has walked us through and uh, my kids have seen God in ways that they never would have otherwise. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just makes me tear up of how beautiful uh God is and his faithfulness and a praying mama. You are a praying mama who drew herself to the word every day. And, you know, I'm sure there were times where you didn't feel like doing that, but you knew like this is going to be my anchor. And this is how I'm going to be able to mom best is only through God's strength. And so you needed to have that time with the Lord. And this is the fruit of a mom going after the Lord hard after something so tragic and uh, praying. Uh, This is the power in prayer. And um, I love speaking on prayer on how big of a, a weapon it is for us and how it moves mountains and shifts atmospheres and it um creates things that you know no other thing can i mean it's just god it has gone before us and he like you said we don't get leftovers with him we get the best and he's going to show up and turn everything uh, for the good, for his glory to those who who love him. And I just am in awe of his faithfulness and in awe of your obedience and just a example of what it is to be a praying mama. 
and being directed by the Lord and what his word says. And yeah, just complete surrender. I know that maybe there's some people listening that are grieving right now or have gone through the process of grieving. Um, I know I like to ask the guests a takeaway uh, that the listener can ponder on when they're done listening. So do you have just a takeaway here to give us as we conclude this episode? Yeah, I'll just follow up on your remark about praying mama. That just hit me so deeply just now. And I, you know, remember one day being at the beach and watching my, then maybe he was maybe 11 years old. He had been six when his father passed away. 11 years old, walking up the beach, carrying his dad's surfboard. And it just brought back a flood of memories because his dad had been a surfer. And I was sitting in my chair watching him walk up toward me, toward our towels, thinking, this is not the childhood I wanted for you. And in that place saying, but this is the childhood God has allowed. And the prayer I have always prayed for my kids, that they would love the Lord with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength, that maybe God can use this in ways that I never would have imagined or chosen, right, to answer that prayer and to be their God in ways that they see so clearly, you know, as we grieve together, the pain when God walks us through, it's not that the pain goes away. There, He will always be missed. I mean, I'm not in that raw act of grief. I am through that, praise the Lord, <laughs> through that. But at every dinner he is missed, at every Christmas, at every graduation, at every game, you know, for my child, he's missed. And yet God can, just like you said, for the praying mama, God can answer our prayers for our child through circumstances we would never choose. Yeah, yeah, he sure can. Okay, where can people connect with you and and pick up this book? Sure, you can find me at my website, which is lisaapolo.com, two Ps, one L. That's kind of the hub. And uh, you can pick up the book anywhere, on, hopefully in your local bookstore. I'd love that. Even maybe your yeah. library, you can request it there. But you can pick it up anywhere online, Amazon, christianbooks.com, Lifeway, all those places. Mm, so good. Well, Lisa, thank you for sharing the story. And I got to dry up here. I know, right? <laughs> oh, it's like, ashes to beauty. And I mean, it's just how the Lord just will restore and redeem. And I just, it's a beautiful thing. Um, It's not beautiful to go through it, but what we see on the other side and, and what he creates out of it. I'm so glad that you're here to share that with us. So thank you so much for giving us this hope and encouragement today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking such good questions and just creating this space. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. I trust that God has encouraged you through this message. For more information on this ministry and to access free downloads, please visit my website at jamieelizabeth.com and sign up. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jamie Elizabeth She Speaks Life. That's J A Y M E Elizabeth She Speaks Life.
Until next time, my friends, I pray God reveals himself through your own life story.